My name is Nancy Farrow, also known as Mama Lou, and I'm the founder of Epic Experience. Epic Experience mission is to empower adult cancer survivors and thrivers to live beyond cancer. I hope that as you listen to Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer, you find hope, healing, and empowerment. Through stories and education, we aim to guide those impacted by cancer and more importantly, offer love and support to anyone out there who needs it. This is Beyond Cancer. Hello, everyone. This is Gail, a.k.a. Sunshine. And today we have an extra special guest. I am here with Nancy Farrow, a.k.a. Mama Lou, founder of Epic Experience. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Sunshine. It's always fun to chat. Exactly. And we are taking a slightly different tack today. We're going to talk about your role as a mom and caregiver. So we're going to take it in a slightly different direction than we usually do uh, the, as you as founder. So let's start by just having you tell us a little bit about yourself. This is what I ask everyone. So I'm going to ask you too. So boy, how would I describe myself? Well, I was born long ago. No, it was uh, <laughs> in a galaxy um, far, far away. Yes, yes, yes. If it has to do with Disneyland, now it does. So there you go. Um, I am originally from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, moved to California when I was really a baby girl, grew up there, um, got married, raised three wonderful children in Sacramento, California, and moved to Colorado, um, let's see now, 11 years, no, 13 years ago. Wow. And I always ask for one fun fact, so oh, one fun golly. fact. I, I know. should have prepared myself on this. Oh, one fun fact. Well, I, I already gave it away. I love Disneyland and all things Disney. And so to me, that's a fun fact. Exactly. Maybe not to everybody, but to me. <laughs> exactly. So you've told us a little bit about your family. Specifically today, we're going to be talking about Michael. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering, uh, and we know, if people know the story of Epic Experience, they know Michael is a big reason why. So they know that he was diagnosed with cancer. But I'm wondering more about his childhood was Michael a healthy child? Was there anything way back when that would indicate he would end up where he did? So he was. Um, it's interesting. I've learned a lot now in looking back in some of his health issues that started when he was 12. Um, a lot of the questions the doctors asked me were around how his delivery was, um, which it was not good. I mean, I had, I was lucky to conceive. I ended up with a C-section and everything that can go wrong with that and a blood transfusion and lots of medication to keep me th go through surgery during pregnancy. So never really thought anything of it. I went on to have two more kids and just like, nope, I can do this. No big deal. And then when he was 12 years old, uh, we went in for his physical and there I am with three kids in the room with wonderful doctor or pediatrician, you know, Michael's 
12, Colin is 10, Carrie is seven. Doctor, you know, didn't have anybody to watch him. So I'm corralling as the doctor's doing his exam on Michael and, and being discreet. And, you know, they're kind of over. <laughs> and he does an exam on Michael and he says, hmm. And I always hate when a doctor says, hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden he said, one of his testicles isn't there. And I'm like, I have no idea what that means. No idea. And he says, I think he needs to see a urologist. He Because Dr. Kearson, who, God bless him, he passed away from a plane accident mm. not long after this, but he was always very thorough. And he says, nope, it's all in my notes. Both the testicles have always been there, which is something a pediatrician does from birth on. Right. With boys, with men, I assume. So we indeed went to a urologist, which was frightening. And they said, yep, you know, when we do the exam, a little bit different, I won't go into all those details. It's it's not where it should be. And it's gone up into his groin. Wow. So Michael, at the age of 12, had to have that surgery, which if you think about it, anything at age 12 is difficult. Oh, but to yeah. a little bit of school for that. It, it added to a very rough scenario to begin with yeah. and trying not to tell people what was going on. But in that doctor's appointment, the doctor said, you now need to watch Michael for testicular cancer. Wow. They told you that way back then. Yeah. He was 12 years old and my heart sank. Oh, I bet. Um, because it, it conf- in this whole scenario, When my mom was pregnant with me, she took a drug called DES in the 50s because she had had five miscarriages. Mm. Fast forward to when I was 20 years old, I was told to watch for cancer because of that. Oh, wow. And I had my own scare, but I was fine. Um, But it also created the issue of why I had some issues having the kids. I was mm-hmm. lucky to get pregnant, but then I had to have surgeries. So it gets a little confusing, but now fast forward to Michael. And all of a sudden I was like, thinking back to when I was 19, is this now passing a generation and yeah. going to Michael? And there's no real studies on that. I've talked to doctors, but you know, they said possibly. So at the age of 12, and we always joke, we're a rather goofy family, as you know. Open, uh, very yep, open. Very open. It was always like, well, Michael, you got to be checking all the time. He had the surgery. Um, it was successful. They brought the testicle down. But now the doctor explained to him, you just want to be looking for lumps, like other cancers that you can actually mm-hmm. And so he would do that, you know, and I'd always bug him. And, you know, the running joke was, well, you're down there anyway, make it productive. That, <laughs> that is a ball joke that I've since learned is common in the testicular cancer. <laughs> so. <laughs> so was that the extent of the follow-up? I mean, they told you, you know, you're on the watch. So was that the extent from age 12 to what that happened later? And, and okay. when he would go in for his physical, his pediatrician then knew. Right. And so Michael was pretty diligent as any, you know, teenage boy is going to be and kind of heard he was there when they said the word cancer, but it's, 
you know, anybody who's been diagnosed knows it's it's kind of like you're either in shock or what does that mean or or right, or it goes right over your head because right yeah. at the moment it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. yeah. And his brother and sister were over in La La Land when, you know, in the meeting with, or in the first appointment. So, you know, we really weren't going over it with them what was going on. So he was very good at, you know, I, you know, as his mom, I'd bug him, just making right. sure, just making sure, keep being aware of your body, um, similar to a woman, you know. Mm-hmm checking for lumps and bumps in our breasts. Yeah. So that went from age 12 to age 22, 22. 22, We were kind of in this check yourself phase. And then what happened? Because he went to high school, he went to college, all is good. And then um, in actually February of 2007, first he was diagnosed uh, with an issue that was going on for quite a bit with a benign brain tumor. Oh, wow. February, 2007. And we thought that was bad. And he'd been having headaches and weird symptoms for that for a while. That hence then finally he bumped his head and went to the ER. And after three or four years of doctors saying, take him to the eye doctor, no, go back, you know, to this doctor and nobody ever doing an exam. This ER doc finally did an exam and found that he had a brain tumor, a pituitary tumor, mm-hmm. not, not cancer. Um, so he had that, but your pituitary is hormones. So right. it's an interesting phenomenon to take place. That was very frightening. Um, learned, you know, he didn't have cancer, but with this kind of tumor, you can stroke or lose your eyesight. Oh, gosh. Um, and again, 20, you know, our heart is breaking, but we yeah. found Incredible doctors, Dr. Kevin Lillehi at University of Colorado. Uh, oh my goodness, the most amazing neurosurgeon bedside manner anybody could ask for. And he's like, nope, don't need to operate. We'll put Michael on a medication. So that's what they did in February, 2007. And things appeared to get better with that um, over a little bit of time. Well, that's, that's good. And then something else that, happened. That, that's that was the good news. I know. I know. I'm like, Michael. So um, then in August, well, really, it was July. Michael was at home. He was in Sacramento. He was just graduating from Regis University in Colorado. He was back in Sacramento where we were living at the time. And he said, Mom, I'm, I'm feeling a lump. Meaning Ugh. reminder from his mother all these years. Right. And I said, well, you just need to go call the doctor. You know, if you want me, you know, I'm not going to go into the appointment with you, but if you want me to drive you or whatever, he goes, no, I got it. I can drive. His doctor was a good friend of ours. And he's driving down there and he said, yeah, he goes, I'm, I'm going to cancel the appointment, mom. I think it's just a zit. It's not a big deal. I said, okay, you know, I'm trusting you at your word. You know, this is the real thing and to be aware of. So he, we go on vacation. Um, ironically, we go to our favorite spot in Oregon. It was my 50th birthday and we were taking a family photo. And I look at that photo now because Michael and his brother, um, everybody had on their Livestrong bracelets because oh, we had had a very dear yeah. friend pass away from cancer. And uh, now that just seems kind of yeah. ironic. Yes. 
you know, for the timing of it all. So he, a friend of his that he knew from college, really good friend, she flew out to um, Oregon and she's like, I'll drive back to Colorado with you, Michael. He was starting his new job with National Car Runner or Enterprise Rental Car. And they were going to give him the tools. Anybody that knows that movie. Um, and great job in getting started. And then he called on uh, August 28th uh, in the evening and said, you know, I said there was a lump. And he goes, I've got a lump. Yeah. And uh, it must have been in the morning um, because thank goodness he was already part of University of Colorado mm-hmm. and their uh, medical system. Right. And called Dr. Lilyhigh's office and they said, you need to get in now. And they got him into a urologist. That day. The next day. The next I, day. But still, that, that's. Yeah. It yeah. was quick because yeah. we we're in their system. Thank exactly. God. Not yeah. sure that would happen today. It's a little tougher. You really got to. But because he was in the system, he got in very quickly. Yeah. And I said, well, I'm flying out. You know, I'm going to be there, you know, waiting outside. Right. I'm going to be there this time and and we'll see what happens. And uh, yeah, he uh, went into his appointment and we were both. um, I can relate to this now after 10 years with our own experience and listening to other survivors driving to the appointment. It was Michael and I, his dad was working. He was traveling in Texas for work and we were quiet as mice. Right. What do you say? (laughs) What do you say? We know why we're going. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be going and all that that entails. And I don't want this to be happening to my son. Yeah. You know, I don't want when they were 12 to be actually coming true. Right. Exactly. And I had always thought about it. You know, it's a discussion I have with uh, my husband. It's like, do you think about it every day? He goes, you know, especially after what happened. But yeah. So, yeah, we go into the appointment and he first with testicular cancer, they usually do an ultrasound before you even see the doctors. And he walked out of the ultrasound and walked up to me and said, I have cancer and we're not going to cry about it. And first of all, the ultrasound tech is not supposed to tell you. you Exactly. You're supposed to let the doctors do that. Um. But I sucked it up and I was like, okay, he needs me. I'm starting to get teary-eyed now. And it's 15 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, okay, he needs me not to cry. I'm not going to cry. And But your brain was going. So what were oh, you thinking? What were you thinking in that moment? I was so scared. I yeah. was like, this is all my fault. This is this is is this because of my all these things going through my head. This is because my mom took that drug. Mm-hmm. This is because when I was pregnant, I was medicated with so many things. This is because I had surgery because the impact of all these medications, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we know with some cancers, if you have a certain treatment, that it's- treatment can cause another cancer. Yes. Yeah. So how did you cope with all of that? while also maintaining the agreement to not cry about this? You know, I just went into, which I think many people do, just the mode Mm -hmm. of here we go. 
Yeah. And I immediately called Mark. His dad was in Texas and he was in a meeting and he knew we were going mm. to appointment. I called Mark and I said, I said, here's the deal. And he goes, okay. He literally stood up in the meeting. His boss was sitting right next to him and said, gotta go. And he yeah. went, he worked for a great company that was like, we got you. You just do what you got to do. Yeah. And, but he wasn't right here. Colin, his brother lived close by because the boys went to college together and mm-hmm. they roomed together. And I called Colin and I said, I need you out here. I said, I don't think Michael's going to hear anything. I'm going to try my best to hear as much, but I need another yeah. set. Of- I'm a big believer in you bring in the cavalry. And if you don't have the cavalry, you ask the hospital to bring in a social worker and wait or record mm-hmm. what the doctors are telling you. Yeah. So I just remember sitting there and it almost it felt like Laurel and Hardy in a way. Colin came in and he was comic relief. That's so what... these five doctors walk in the room. And I'm like, oh my God, it's terrible. It's five doctors. And again, I'm sucking it up every inch of the way. And uh, Colin is starts making jokes to make Michael laugh because <laughs> he knows what his brother needs. Yeah. And we, laughter's okay, even at those times. Mm-hmm. And is it hiding? Maybe, but it's getting some endorphins or something out. Yep. And uh, so, yeah, but I, I, I remember every moment I can mm-hmm. tell you, that, you know, eight, it, uh, it was August 29th, 2007. It was eight 30 in the morning when he had the ultrasound appointment, it was eight 50 that he had, um, he walked out and yeah. told me, you know, by nine 45, we were with all those doctors. So wow, it's an imprint forever on my mind. Oh yeah. yeah. How, how did it affect your family? I mean, it sounds like you guys are close, you're open, you discuss, and yet you had, Carrie was still in high school, right? Right, right. And you're living in two different places. How did this affect your family? Yeah, so Carrie was living in Sacramento and senior year in high school, and she had watched us do everything for her boys so they could, you know, friends at the house, all this, what, all this, all the time. And the surgery um, was scheduled and we flew Carrie out and had her come out, um, to the surgery. So we were all there and we don't have much of an extended family. Mm -hmm. I mean, my mom, um, had passed away. My dad was remarried. That's a whole families, right? (laughs) Mark's mom was a nurse, but you know, she had her life. So it had always just it was, it's always been the five of us. Yeah. And so we called Carrie, another really good friend of Michael and Collins came out to the hospital. He went to Regis and to high school with the boys in Sacramento and sat in the waiting room with us. And uh, <laughs> crazy stories of all this, you know, we're talking testicular cancer, so you got to put it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but we were uh, sitting in the waiting room waiting and uh, the doctor's and I've heard other people say this too, said, you know, well, we, you know, we think it's early stage and we don't think it's the aggressive cancer. And the one thing I would tell everybody, you know, when, you know, you mm-hmm. do not know until that moment, Yeah. you know, and as much as maybe they're trying not to scare you or whatever. Yeah. 
So, but the doctor came out, said surgery went well. We think it's this, like I just shared. And he had something behind his back. And Carrie, our daughter, who's not a shy gal and will ask anything, and Colin were both like, what do you have? And he goes, well, that's, I'm taking Michael's testicle down. Oh my gosh. (laughs) To uh, get it, you know, to get a biopsy. And so, and they're like, can we see it? Oh my gosh. So, um, yeah. So Michael was never happy because they got to see it. And he, right. (laughs) And the response was, it's much bigger than we thought. (laughs) Oh, the jokes that must have ensued. Oh, good golly. Would you say that that is how your family in general coped with it? I mean, did you talk about it seriously or was it? Like, how did you guys cope with it? We did. And I I think for us, and there's head down, what do we need to do next? It mm-hmm. did, when it did come back, yes, it was stage one, but it's the more aggressive kind of testicular okay. cancer. There's non-seminoma and seminoma. And so it was the more aggressive, but stage one. Okay. And uh, so as far as dealing with it, you know, it was Mark and Michael, and I, you know, what, you know, listening to what we do, Michael's doctor, the most incredible man, a founding board member of Epic Experience, mm-hmm. actually, uh, Dr. Maroney. And he had trained with the very best in Indianapolis with Dr. Einhorn, who's the guru of testicular cancer. And we've been fortunate now to have met. And I looked at him. It's not a common cancer. It's only about 7,000 men a year. It's a young man's cancer, usually, uh, but not always. And uh, I said, they did the first surgery. That There's no if, ands, or buts. There's no talking fertility before mm-hmm. that surgery because what he would be banking would be cancer cells. Right. And so, you know, I asked the question and it's like, well, you can do that after. And it, uh, that was a whole episode I could share on fertility because Mm -hmm. um, he did the, the cancer was actually in his good testicle Mm -hmm. going back to when he was 12. Oh, fast forward. Really? He is still at risk for that testicle. Yeah. And whether it's, again, these things aren't studied because the numbers aren't that high, yeah. but, you know, that correlation, I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's like any cancer diagnosis. I never really ask why, because when you're in it, you're just what, doing it. <laughs> what difference does it make? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it, uh, we, we dealt with it. Um, and, you, you know, we had Carrie there for that first surgery. She's a senior in high school, has all these things, Mm. things I was supposed to do with her, like a mother daughter thing. And I would fly back and I see pictures of myself and it's like, man, I'm like, but I was like, I have this child. I got to take care of her. But, you know, but Michael had surgery. I got to stay here in between. Colin was always living with Michael and definitely was comic relief. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we would talk about it but it's more in the essence of what needs to be done. Yeah. You know, the not the what ifs. Down no, the road. That was my first thought though. Yeah. When they first said he had cancer, I was yeah. like, is he going to die? Yeah. 
And I think that's what most people think because yeah. it's it, a natural connection. Yeah. And we know now, you know, for a lot of people, survivorship rates are getting better. People are living longer and things are better. But I think it it was, that was my, what I, I mean, automatically. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you're not alone. I'm sure. So yeah. once, once he got through the surgery and all of that, what kind of treatment did he do? And what did your role look like as caregiver of an adult child? Yeah. So we, his treatment was after the surgery he had choices, and this is still kind of commonplace for testicular cancer. The number one they'll say is surveillance. We can just wait and see what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, it was not in his lymph nodes and they know with testicular cancer, it will go to your lungs or to your brain. Mm -hmm. That's the travel path and go into other organs as well. But at the time, that's what we were told. And so he could wait and see, he could have chemo, which Michael was getting back to that fertility thing was like, yeah, ready. I I don't think I want to do that. Or a surgery called an RPLND. Don't ask me, look it up, everybody. (laughs) Um, Surgery. And I looked at Dr. Maroney and I said, have you done this surgery? And he's, yeah, I've done it. And I've trained with the best. And I said, would you do a second opinion? He goes, yeah. Because my question is always, if this was your brother, Mm -hmm. dad, son, you know, what would you do? And he goes, yeah. And I said, and if we're going to do a second opinion, where should we, do, you know, mm-hmm. we want to know the best place to do it. And that was in Indianapolis. And so on October 1st, Mark, and after Michael recouped from that first surgery, um, still not 100%, because obviously it's a sensitive area, um, we drove back Uh, to Indianapolis, because we thought if he's going to have this surgery, which is basically taking all the lymph nodes in the gut, if he decided to, to fly on a plane with a seatbelt just sounded, you know, we'd be in Indianapolis for a long time. Yeah. (laughs) So it's like, if we drive, we can kind of, if we had to stop, we can. So kind of thinking ahead, but at the same time, whatever Michael decided would be, you know, fine but we were prepared. So uh, we went to Notre Dame. Michael's favorite movie of all time is Rudy. (laughs) The band was playing as we're driving into Notre Dame. I mean, we, we made the best of a terrible situation. Yeah. That's what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. And got to the doctors in Indianapolis and saw Dr. Einhorn, the most if you have testicular cancer, this is the man's opinion that you want. He's in his 80s, sharpest attack. Wow. He remembers who Michael is, remembers meeting us, um, and he has a great team. And there's other good uh, TC oncologists out there as well. Yeah. So he went to the doctor and they gave him his options. And Michael chose to have the surgery. And he's like, well, we can do it tomorrow. It's like a Thursday. And I go, and I know my son, I know my kids, and I go, well, the Broncos are playing the Colts on Sunday. Is there a chance he could do the surgery on Monday? He goes, sure, I'd go to the game too if you were here. So I got two tickets. Oh, that is awesome. For Michael and Mark uh, to go to the football game. Just putting them hopefully in a, 
you know, sports he loves and uh, a little bit of fun in a bad situation. That is an awesome way to care right there. You you know what your son loves and what an awesome thing to do right before he has to go through this surgery. So I drove down to Churchill Downs. That's what I did that day. They weren't open, but at least I can say I've been to Churchill. You've been there. I love horses. (laughs) So after surgery and he got back home, what did day to day look like? Did you go back to like, were you caregiving from a distance or did you stay in Denver to kind of take care of him? Well, he was in the hospital for five days. Okay. It's pretty horrendous surgery. Again, they have, you know, all the lymph nodes of your gut have been yeah. taken out. And so um, we just, you know, Mark or I were always in the room with them. The hospital was phenomenal because this is what they do there. And uh, came home and it, we, we were... We drove back home. Michael's best friend at the time was living in St. Louis, uh, working for a rather large brewery um, in the country. And we're like, hey, we're coming to town if you want to come see Michael. And he goes, oh, I'm going out with some buddies tonight. And Michael joined me. And we're like, no, I don't think so. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, no. He can, it's okay. He can. We're like, you know what, Rod? Just come over and see Michael first and you'll understand why. (laughs) Because when we got to the hotel, we made it to St. Louis. Michael was loaded in the back seat, reclined with pillows all over his gut. Just, you know, pain pills kept going, as they say. And (laughs) his buddy comes into the room and he goes, oh, he's not going. I get it. Yeah. Uh, We had to get a wheelchair to get him to the room and. Uh and all that, um, and got home. And then we were, you know, I stayed with him for a bit. Colin was there, but Colin's now, you know, in college and I don't want him to fall behind. Regis was an amazing institution. It's, you know, and so supportive of Michael and Colin uh, and ultimately Carrie as well. And, uh, so they, um, went ahead and Colin was there and I would come back and forth. Mark's job would allow him. Mm-hmm. And at this point now, the, that I would say the, that emotional caregiving, yeah. you know, I was there for that. But I would say his brother was, you know, here he told me not to cry. See, I'm even going to try and suck it up now, 15 years later. But Colin was his rock yeah, and his anchor. And, and I know that, yeah. you know. And maybe I put too much as a mom. I was the first night in the hospital with the whole brain tumor when they were in the, Colin, do not leave him. You are not leaving him. But the Super Bowl's tomorrow. We have to buy beer. I'm like, I don't care. (laughs) So, yeah. And, and Carrie in this whole mix, that was hard. Oh, yeah. We found out like two years later, how out of the loop she felt. Oh, yeah. Because all of a sudden we realized she's in Sacramento, we're there, and maybe we weren't saying everything we should. And now there's good things like Caring Bridge where you can write. But even with Carrie, we were talking to her and she was staying with friends and we were trying to get family. But again, it was always just the five of us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she really she did not understand the the how big the second surgery was. Yeah. It was huge. And that didn't come out for a long time. 
And, and there yeah. was a, a loss for her too. Well, yeah. yeah. Her senior year of high school. Yeah. It yeah. did not look the same as what she witnessed. Exactly. What we did for the boys and what we all did together. And yeah. I tried my best, but that fall of 2007, you know, um, yeah. and the worst part was she played water polo for her high school. And I would, after Michael's first surgery and she came out for it, she's now back and they had a big uh, tournament. And Carrie was a senior. She was their center, which is like the center in basketball for her water polo team. And all of a sudden we're looking down and we we came back for that game and Colin's taking care of Michael. And we look and it's like, why isn't she playing? You know, it's like, well, I don't, you know, something, yeah. I don't know what changed. And I see Carrie and she's on the pool deck and she's crying. And I'm like, she's not one to shed a lot of tears. She's a tough nut having two older brothers. And all of a sudden her coach comes up off and we're in the bleachers. And of course my first instinct when she's down crying is I want to go down there. Right. She's 17 years old. I I can't do that. And this is her sport. And, and uh, her coach comes up and he's behind us. And I kind of see him, but I'm like, I'm just going to ignore him. I, you know, but he says, Mr. and Mrs. Farrow. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. He was punishing her. He knew she missed a practice because she had been out in Colorado for her brother's surgery, but he was punishing her for missing a practice. Wow. And my response was not, (laughs) I will share because. Four letter words. We'd have to bleep. We'd have to bleep it. Yeah, you would bleep me what I said to him. But in essence, I said, "Go apologize to her." Yeah. So that, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that just made things even worse. There's, I imagine, Harry, me feeling bad. Colin's taking care of, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, if I could, I told Michael this once when we were going for follow up appointments. He always wanted somebody with him and he mm-hmm. would go in by himself, but we would drive out. If I wasn't there, Colin would, Mark would come into town because he could have some flexibility. And one time Michael and I were driving and we were just quiet. And I said, Michael, if I could, you know, you can say anything you want to me. And he goes, no, I can't. And I go, no, you can. He goes, no, I don't want to scare you. And I said, I will tell you, I probably think 20 times worse. Yeah. Because I had... And still to this day, I have no control over what yeah. it's be. There's nothing I have control in in this. Yeah, definitely. And nor, you know, he has control in his decisions and actions. Right. Nobody in cancer has control if you're going to get it, what's going to happen. Whether yeah. the treatment's going to work. Yeah, I mean, you are completely out of control. And then being a caregiver, you're one step removed from that. Yeah, yeah. And, and friends that you thought were there, your very best friends, they just walked away. Mm-hmm. And I remember going, and it's like, so we were in Indianapolis all by ourselves, Mark, Michael, and I, and their college friends were amazing when we got back. And then, you know, this is moving to, Michael ultimately had another surgery to remove his brain tumor. Oh, yeah. And uh, back in California, unfortunately, it didn't work. <laughs> so back on the same medication. Oh, gosh. So always get second and third opinions on. Definitely. It. But again, 
you do the best with what exactly you're, what you're told. But and that was a terrible surgery to be in the waiting room for that. Oh, I bet they had to wake them up with adrenaline, a shot of adrenaline, and yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah. He's the one, and now he has precancerous polyps. So <laughs> I just look at him and say, just stop, just stop. We've yeah. For you, what would you say is the biggest challenge? I mean, you've already described some of the challenges having, um, you know, having Carrie still in high school and that kind of thing. Would you say that was the biggest or is there something else that was the biggest challenge for you? I would say, I don't know if that's a tough question. It, it really is. It's my bottom line is. I just want to take this away. I want yeah. to die for you right now to stop that, but I yeah. can't do that. Right. So there lies, that was my personal challenge because oh, yeah. if I could die for any of my kids so that they would have a full life. I would do it in a heartbeat, but it doesn't work that way. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's another thing out of your control, right? You... Totally. And yeah. and there lies probably as a caregiver, the biggest yeah. challenge. Yeah. I am not in control of anything. Yeah. I'm in control of supporting as much as I can. Yeah. But you know, Michael and his dad had the biggest fight they've ever had in their life. One time when Mark looked at him and talking about his cancer diagnosis and said, Michael, I understand. And Michael went ballistic because Michael knew, and you know, I mean, nobody understands. We try. Yeah. Yeah. We try. But um, yeah. Yeah. It, you know, but now he's getting married. Another cancer survivor and it's amazing. And, you know, but it's never far from my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, even Michael was diagnosed in 2007. I started Epic in 2012 and definitely for five, I mean, every day I would think about it. Oh, well, yeah, I imagine. And I still not as much, you know, as far as Michael. Right. But my fear for him. Yeah. Please don't let this happen to him. Yeah. Please let him live a normal life. Yeah. You know, let him go out to all those sporting events he wants to. You know, he survived his bachelor party this weekend. Yes, he did. <laughs> so thinking of other parents of adult children um, who are diagnosed with cancer, what advice would you give for, for them as a caregiver, from caregiver to caregiver, I guess? I would say 500% be present as much mm. as you can. I've heard through 11 years of being with, you know, starting Epic horror stories of parents that are like, don't want to hug their kids because mm. they're afraid they're going to give them more tumors or mm. survivors that are told, oh, go upstairs. You don't look good. And you're, nobody wants to see that. Yeah. That's just cruel Yeah, because this is not the flu it's not COVID. It's not a cold. It is something, you know, those things we can kind of relate to, right? Mm -hmm. You know what you feel like when you had a cold or the flu. I, I, and again, I don't know, you know, I, when Michael had surgery, he didn't have chemo, but that recovery was terrible. I mean, they were going to get him at his very first, the orchiectomy when they take the testicle, because he just kept throwing up. Mm. And it's like, you guys, we cannot take him home. He's, you know, it was four hours of throwing up after the surgery from yeah. just the anesthesia. So I would say to a parent, just be there for your child. Mm-hmm. And I would also say to the patient, 
you know, if your parent can't, you know, don't be mad at them. And that's a Hmm. silly thing to say, but find the person that will be there for you. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, Because I've heard, you know, I've heard it too many times. Some parents, the guilt a parent can have, because why did this happen to my child? Yeah. This is not supposed to happen. Yeah. So I would just say, listen and give hugs. Yeah. Can't do it. Don't. (laughs) That's a weird thing to say, but you got to find a place that, you know, number one is your child. Yeah. And you got to be there with what they're asking for. Yeah. If they tell you not to cry, go cry in a closet. Exactly. So I imagine for you, this was a an exhausting, emotionally draining, <laughs> just um, depleting experience. How did you take care of yourself? Oh, I didn't. Oh. <laughs> I, yeah. 500%. I, I did everything that I would tell somebody else to do. And in hindsight, I wish I had. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, I did see friends, but they couldn't relate. Yeah. But I found the discussions just exhausting. Yeah. They were trying to distract me where I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. That's an interesting point because. And we had this one couple that she was my best friend. She just up and hightailed it out of there. And what I've learned now is I more feel sorry for her because everybody has something that happens in their life. And something big like this. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be cancer. It can be a number of things, Mm -hmm. but in my case, it's cancer. You know, show if you're a good friend, show up and be present. And um, that, that hurt the most. I mean, that pain was huge to think that I had this friend and I'm like, I guess we weren't friends. I mean, it was just, Mm -hmm. my mind was just so out there because it was like, who do I have to talk to? Because even Mark and I, we knew how to talk about what to do. Yeah. But how to talk about how we're feeling, that was hard. Yeah. Oh, I bet. That, that was miserable. We both just knew that we were scared. Right. So you said you didn't take care of yourself, but now you have all this advice for those who are in the same place. So what would you tell someone? This is not what I did, but this would be a good thing. I know. And and I say, you know, 11 years after starting Epic, 15 years after Michael, you know, I've started last week. I went, Carrie and I went for three days to Arizona. I'm like, I need to just take a break and not work. Yeah. They always give me a hard time because I work on vacation occasionally. And all of a sudden, Carrie pulled me to a couple of her appointments. I'm like, <laughs> but it was fun. It was fun yeah. to go there and watch our element. So doing that, you know, I came back and it's like, <sighs> yeah, because I love what I do, but it is important. But I also, I think what fills me up is what I do. Yeah. Graphic experience. In terms of care, in terms of the caregiver caring for themselves, you now went on this vacation. What are other things you've learned that would have been, hey, this would have been a good idea for me to try, but I didn't, but you've seen it maybe work for other caregivers? Well, I've seen it work. And I would say like when Michael was in the hospital and I know this feeling because it's like if we would leave, the doctor would come in. So therefore, what did we do? 
One of us was, oh, most of the time, both of us were there. So again, taking care of ourselves, not really, no, but yeah. we were taking care of Michael. That was in the heat of everything. Then um, there were times I've talked to other people and, you know, and other, you know, survivors that are young and they're like, well, I don't want my mom to come and I don't want to tell her anything because then yeah. she'll bug me because, you know, they live a thousand miles away. And I go, when you don't tell them the truth and they find out that maybe you've had another scare, they're not going to trust you and they're going to be on your doorstep. <laughs> so it's far better to say, hey, I got to go in for this appointment. Yes, I want you here or no, I'll let you know what's going on. You know, for caregivers, I know for Epic, I there's another mom and I that are talking about her daughter is a brain cancer survivor. And mm. we're talking about starting a group for moms with kids that have oh. cancer. So yeah. we have that outlet. There's more yeah. of that, that exists out there. Yeah. But I would say, you know, what do I wish? I've now started horseback riding. I haven't done it now in a long time. That was meant about four or five years ago so that I would even take a break of yeah. day to day with what we do. I don't do that. <laughs> regular basis. I'm the worst example. All right. Then I won't ask. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I do have one more question. Is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you that you would want to share with a caregiver in particular who happens to be listening? I would just tell them to, you know, if they're there with their child or their spouse or whoever it may be, just, you know, if, if you, I know for me, I wasn't going to hear everything, get somebody else in the mm -hmm. room. You need yeah. 10 people in the room with you to hear the messaging because it's overwhelming, then do that. Ask the doctor to rec if you can record or just tell them, yeah. I'm going to record this because they tell you so much. Oh, yeah. And I would say, give yourself the grace and just mm -hmm. find somebody else because there's a lot of avenues. Feel free to call me. I, I've now talked to tons of parents and mm. if nothing else, I'm an ear and I've been there, Yeah. but, but find some Avenue. <laughs> Do as I say, not as yet. I did. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. thank you so much for sharing this different side of your journey in terms of Epic experience. And that really is the caregiver for your son. I really appreciate you being here. Thank you for making me cry. Because <laughs> I'm returning your favor. after 15 years. <laughs> well, until the next time we gather around the campfire, keep living beyond cancer. Thank you for listening to this episode of Campfires of Hope, Living Beyond Cancer. For more information about Epic Experience and our programs or to donate, please visit our website at epicexperience.org. Music for this podcast is provided by Moonshiner Collective. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us so we can share our story with more people. Also, be sure to subscribe wherever you get podcasts so you'll know when new episodes are released. We hope you come back and join us for our next episode.